Well, we are now in Isaiah chapter 24. And the quote that's on the screen came from my reading this week. As I was studying Isaiah chapter 24, one of the authors that I was reading, one of the commentators that I was reading, had this quote, Only a God whose control of history is so complete that he could bring it to a close at any moment is worth worshipping. I want to read that one more time. Only a God whose control of history is so complete that he could bring it to a close at any moment is worth worshipping. Only that kind of a God is worth worshipping. And that struck me when I read that. And I, and I looked at it and it said um, that he was quoting somebody else and I looked to see in the footnote who he was quoting and I said, hey, I've got that book. And I pulled that off of my desk too because it's one of the other commentators that I use. And I pulled it up and I said, wow, there's the quote. Perfect. Now I've written two books. But the thing that was so cool for me, I, I've never read this before, but it's in a profound statement to me. He is capable, he has control over history such to the extent that literally the Father at any second could turn and say, enough, go get my kids, it's time. And that's what Isaiah chapter 24 talks about. So let's go ahead and turn there. I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard, and I have a reason for doing that, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard, Isaiah chapter 24. There are 23 verses, and we are going to take the time this morning to read all throughout all 23. Now the Lord is about to lay waste the earth and make it desolate. And he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly laid waste and utterly despoiled. For the Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens languish together with the earth. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth dwindled, and few people are left. The wine dries up, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the timbrels is stilled, the music of the jubilant has ceased, the mirth of the lyre is stilled, and no longer do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. A city of chaos is broken down, and every house is shut up so that no one can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has reached its eventide. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be on the earth and among the nations when an olive tree is beaten as in the gleaning when the grape harvest is ended. 
They lift up their voices. They sing for joy. They shout from the west over the majesty of the Lord. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, glorify the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise of the glory to the righteous one. But I say, I pine away. I pine away. Woe is me. For the treacherous deal treacherously. And treacherous deal very treacherously. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. Whoever flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit, and whoever climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken, the earth is torn asunder, the earth is violently shaken, the earth staggers like a drunkard, it sways like a hut, its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls and will not rise again. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in a host of heaven in heaven and on earth the kings of the earth. They will be gathered together like prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And before his elders, he will manifest his glory. If you were to read the scholars that I was reading, you would understand and learn that Isaiah chapter 20, excuse me, 13 through 23 were oracles or pronouncements of woe against all of the peoples that surrounded the Judahites. And then you would understand that in chapter 24 through chapter 27, scholars understand or call this section, 24 through 27, the Isaiah Apocalypse. And what they understand is not that this, was, this chapter 24 was specifically talking about any particular location or any particular time but that this was indeed an, a, a prophetic vision that Isaiah had that was speaking of the end. The end of time. And so we're going to look, not necessarily verse by verse, but we're going to go through this verse by verse uh, as much as we can with the time that we have and just talk about what is it specifically saying. First of all, verse 1 we're going to skip. I want to come back to that at the end. Verse 2. It shall be with the people, as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with the master, as with the maid, so with the mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. What Isaiah is saying here is there's not going to be a single person on the face of the earth, regardless of status, regardless of class, regardless of education, regardless of, of gender, regardless of any reason, age, no one is going to be exempt from what God is going to bring about. So what does that say if you are a person of God, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God turns to the, to the, the folks and says, start opening up those seals. It's time for the end to come. What does that mean for us? Let's look. The earth shall be utterly laid waste and utterly despoiled for the Lord has spoken this word. You see, we have in our Western culture 
this idea that we have to present God as loving and benevolent and gentle and fatherly, which he is. But he is also a just king. And when he says, thus says the Lord, it is going to happen. And nobody can call him on it. Because he is just. He would never do anything that was unjust. But see, we don't like to offend. We don't want to cause people to turn away. I'll give you an example. Friday night, I stood over the grave of Don Carpenter and I helped that family bury her remains. Saturday during the morning and early afternoon, I helped that family and friends to celebrate the life of Don Carpenter. In both of those settings, I was very specific in my pronouncement of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was very specific in declaring to them that if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you have not been and become in right relationship with Him, that there would not be a chance for you to ever go to be in heaven, to ever see dawn again. And that was the gospel truth. I was speaking very clearly the gospel truth. But do you know what the enemy was whispering in my ear the whole time I was doing that? How dare you say this to these people? You don't know their spiritual condition. You don't know if you're going to be turning them away from God by saying these words. You need to make this palatable and gentle and loving. And I truly felt discomfort as I was speaking those words, especially at the party. I'm thinking, God, this is supposed to be a celebration of our life, not an evangelical thing. And I even submitted or succumbed to saying out loud, if anybody listens to any recording that was done, I literally said, I'm not trying to turn this into a religious event. And I regretted saying those words. But it was the enemy just whispering and whispering and saying, you don't need to be talking about this here. This isn't the appropriate place. This is the appropriate time. These people came here to celebrate. They don't need to hear about death and sin and, and going to hell. Well, why don't they? Thus said the Lord God, this is coming, folks. And who else but the minister at the time celebrating death? Should we speak of eternity and the truth and the hope and the opportunity for life? But see, the enemy has got this Western culture so wrapped up and twisted and we don't want to offend We want to be tolerant. We want to be loving. We want to be gentle. We don't want to turn anybody away from God. And as a result, we don't speak the truth. We're supposed to speak the truth in love, but we're supposed to speak truth. And it really made me sad yesterday when I said that. But there was no tape in the back. I just had to just press on. I was like, man, don't make an excuse for Jesus. If the Holy Spirit's prompted me to say this, then say it. Don't backpedal. The earth shall be utterly laid waste and utterly despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. Now, just a technicality so that in case you guys do any Bible study with anybody else, the word earth in this chapter appears 17 times, and the Hebrew in this that's translated earth can be translated land. Some of your translations may say land. Scholars understand that this is not 
talking about the land of Israel or the land of the Middle East, but indeed this word that is being translated here, earth, is talking about the entire world. And it's talking about all of humanity, not just a certain people group, okay? So, don't be counting up the 17 earths at this point, do that later, but just understand that the word here translated earth in this translation is talking about the whole world, the whole world. Okay, verse 4. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens languish together on the earth. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed laws, violated statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant points back to the time of Noah. God said, I will never destroy the earth again in this way. But we know through other prophetic words that there is going to come a time where the earth is destroyed by fire. And that's what this is talking about. It's not because God wants to destroy anything, but it's because there needs to be a purging. There needs to be a cleansing. And it's because of the way humans have despoiled the earth through their sinful lives. Verse 6. Therefore a curse devours the earth. Its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth dwindled, and few people are left. So what this is saying is at this time, the population of the earth is going to dwindle. It's probably because of pestilence. It's probably because of disease. It's probably because of earthquakes where people die from crumbling buildings. Verse 7, the vine dries up, the vine languishes, and all the merry-hearted sigh, the mirth of the timbrels is stilled, the joy of the jubilant, noise of the jubilant has ceased, and the mirth of the lyre is stilled. No longer do they drink wine with singing, strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of chaos is broken down, every house is shut up so that no one can enter. This verse 10, every house is shut up so no one can enter. What they're talking about is they literally fell in an earthquake. But you can't get in because everything's just crumbled and broken. There's an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has reached its eventide. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left for the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be on the earth and among the nations, as if an olive tree had been beaten in the gleaning, uh, as at the gleaning when the great harvest is ended. There's going to be no food. Food is going to be scarce. There's not going to be provisions. People will be hungry. People will be thirsty. It will be a, a miserable time to be on the earth. But then in verse 14 through 16, it says, But they lift up their voices and sing for joy. They shout from the west over the majesty of the Lord. Therefore the east give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea glorify the name of the Lord God of Israel. And from the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise to the glory of the righteous one. What? What scholars understand these three verses to be saying is that even in the midst of all of this horror that God is going to bring down onto all of humanity because of the sins of humanity, and it is the end of time, it is time for the purging to take place, there will still be a remnant of God's people present on this earth from all corners of the earth to raise up shouts of praise, to bring glory to the one who is forever and always eternal and faithful and righteous. And so what I see in this is that even if today was the day and the world started crashing, we now have one of the greatest opportunities to begin proclaiming without fear the name of the Lord Jesus 
It is your only hope. It is your only salvation. It is your place of safety. It is your place of refuge. Can I pray for you? God is calling us out, rising us up, preparing us for the time. It may not be this week. It may not be next month. It may not be next year. But quite honestly, folks, if we were to continue reading through, which we're not going to read too much more of this, because all it is is death, destruction, and darkness. But if we were to read this, it literally says there's no escaping it. It talks about animals falling into a pit, but if they clamber out of the pit, then they get stuck in the snare, and from the snare there's no hope of getting loose. There is coming a time, it is declared by the Almighty God, there is coming a time when the world is going to come down to nothing. If you go back to verse 1, I said I wanted to skip that and come back to it. Verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, The Lord is about to lay waste to the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. Think about graphically, what is that saying? Twisting the surface and scattering the inhabitants. Does that not sound like earthquakes and tidal waves and destructive forces of nature literally twisting the very surface of the earth and all of humanity scattering, just trying to find some safety and cover somewhere? That's what I read. We understand, if we were to go into Revelations and read, there is a new heaven, there is a new earth, and everything is going to be made new. But before that happens, there is going to be this time of purging, of burning, of destruction. And it's not going to be without human beings on the earth. It is not a pleasant subject. It is not a nice topic. But it is a reality that we are all facing unless Jesus takes us off this earth first. Okay? I'm not going to get into end times theology. There's too many people with too many opinions and nothing definitive. Well, are we going to be removed before the tribulation or mid-tribulation or after the tribulation? Are we going to hear just for the millennia? I, I, who cares? At this point in time, the Word of God says... If you're a child of God, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. He will empower you to live whatever comes before you. He will enable you when you are tempted to sin to get out of that temptation. He will always provide a way out. And there is going to come a time in the twinkling of an eye when we are all going to be changed and called off of this earth. We are also told there's going to come a time when Jesus is coming back. Now, are we going to be changed and called off of this earth before all of that destruction? It says there's going to be some people of God down here to proclaim his name. So is that Jewish people? Oh, that would be good. Then I don't have to worry about it because I'm not Jewish. I don't know. All I know is the word of God says something horrible is coming. And that there will be people on this earth who know God who are able to proclaim his name and bring glory to him and point people to God. And then finally, the end is going to come where the enemy is going to be vanquished and destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth are going to take place. 
That's what we understand from the Word of God. It's very clear about that stuff. Now, as I have reflected on this, I thought, one of the things that I struggle with in my own personal walk, and I don't want to say it's complacency, but I could label it complacency. I have a tendency in my own personal walk to read the newspaper or to watch a news broadcast or listen to something on the radio and go, well, that's what the Bible says is going to happen, so it's going to happen. Yeah, another truck. Go through 150 people and kill 80 of them. Yep, that's going to be happening. Yep, there was a tidal wave found in, uh, in, in the middle of Southeast Asia and all those people were lost. Yep. And look at the political stuff that's going on and around the world. The whole world's just literally falling apart. Yep. That's what the Bible's going to talk about. But I don't think that that's supposed to be one of my responses. I think my response is supposed to be, Oh God, how in the world can I keep pointing people to Jesus while this is starting? Because I truly believe... And I mean it with all of my heart, and I've been telling people this for weeks and or months. I believe we are seeing the beginnings of birth pains. Maybe it's Braxton Hicks, and we still got a little time. But I truly believe, I truly believe that we are watching the beginning of the end. The world is starting to fall apart financially, politically. Um, we have this threat of uh, radical Islam coming to all parts of what had been a common free world. But even before that, we have this, this unrest between the races. We have police officers just being shot in the United States just for doing their jobs. All of these things. Did you hear about any of that 40 years ago? This wasn't happening this, to this degree on this scale, so is it because we have better communication ability, and so we're able to hear about it quicker, or is it because something's changing in the hearts of humanity? I think something's changing in the hearts of humanity. What I think has happened, and I'm not wanting to point the finger backwards, but what I think has happened is that, remember that old adage, if you lose a generation to Christ, we've lost? Well, folks, I think we've lost, quite honestly. I think there are hundreds of people that live even in our community that couldn't care less about what God has to say, has absolutely no bearing on their lives as far as they're concerned. They just want to do what's best for themselves and for their family. And as long as we're comfortable and safe, good. And unfortunately, some of that even creeps into the mind of us, I think. I know it's me. Hey, People I care about are in good shed, good stead, and, and we're happy, and we're, we've got food to eat, and God's blessing us, and things are cool, and we have this myopic thing going on, where we're just, as long as we're okay, we're okay. And yeah, let the rest of it fall apart, because that's what God said was going to happen in the Bible. That's what's supposed to happen. But what happens when, all of a sudden, our supply line gets cut, because an earthquake happens, and the Alaskan highway falls into a big, creepy crevasse, and we no longer can get a food supply up here. Do you know Walmart will be bare shelved in three days if we don't have barges and if we don't have trucks? Okay? We saw evidence in this last year. 
one barge breaking down and we run out of produce. And to multiply that, if the world falls apart and the shipping channels go away, how will you survive? And that's what this is talking about. Now, that's just one small, minor little thing about life here in Fairbanks. But if that were to happen, how could this church minister and proclaim truth to our community while they were going through crisis of not enough food to feed their family, no gasoline to get their cars back, no heat for their homes? What would we as a Christian people do to minister in that setting? Because the reality is, it's very possible. We could see something like that happen long before we would ever see the cataclysmic world fall apart that's talking about in Isaiah chapter 24. And I'm afraid that for a lot of Christians in the the Fairbanks area, it's more about making sure I have a store and I have my gas and I have my provisions than it is about how can we do for all of us and minister to our people in our communities. I think that's some of the mindset that we need to prayerfully begin thinking about. It's not gonna. It's not gonna not happen. Okay. It very, very clearly said um, in verse. I'm sorry, my Bible didn't open right up to it. I think it's verse two or verse four. Verse four. Where is it? The Lord spoke it. Is it three? Thank you. I knew it was the first couple three. The earth shall be utterly laid waste and utterly despoiled for the Lord has spoken this word. This is not an if. This is a when. And so we as Christian people need to know, yeah, someday God's going to call me home and someday I'm going to be living in heaven with Jesus and someday we're not going to have to worry about this. But if God, for whatever reason, chooses to have you be one of the ones that stay back, to proclaim his name to the people who are struggling, you're going to be struggling just as much. And there's, there's got to be an intentionality on your part, and even a plan in, in, in place today. How can you be used of God to minister to your community, to your neighbors, to your friends who don't know Jesus, not just so that they can come to know Jesus, but just so that they have food in their belly, just so that they can be warm in the wintertime, just so they can get to and from medical facilities if necessary, And that's the loving thing. That's the Christ-like thing. And that is the way that we will win others to Christ by showing that compassion and being available to our neighbors. So, I'm excited about Jesus coming back. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, anytime. But by saying that, all of this other stuff has to take place first. And how am I, if God chooses to leave me on this earth, how am I going to process through that and be effective in proclaiming the gospel gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and ministering to the needs of my community with the resources God has put in my hands? That's my concern. That's my prayer. And that's my challenge to you. Let's pray.